The Daily Sales Show, hosted by Sell Better. Welcome back, everybody, to the Sell Better Daily Sales Show, where we bring you daily sales advice to help you sell better. Now, I'm your host, Adrian Saya, and today we're going to talk about the tactical ways for salespeople to deliver an effective demo. We've been on these demos. Sometimes they just feel like you're feature dumping and you lose your prospect's attention. Let's make sure that doesn't happen. You get all the value you need and you can bring it front and center to your prospect and hook them in. Now, as always, we love to know, where are you tuning in from? Throw it in the chat. I'd love to see this. Now, before you do, make sure your chat is set to everyone. So everyone, just do me a favor. Click that blue button in your chat and switch it to everyone. That way we can all see it. And of course, thank you all for coming. I love to have you guys here. I'm already seeing some people in the chat here. We got Amy from Austin. Welcome, Amy. And Kristen from Kirsten from Grand Rapids, Michigan. Great to see you again, Kirsten. Love to have you on all these shows. And Florida, Joe. You made the right move. It is nice and warm here. (laughs) It's the place to be. So who are today's speakers? We have some incredible people here who can actually tell you the the ins and outs of all demos. We have Joe Caprio. He's a partner at Glasswing Ventures. Welcome, Joe. Great to have you here. And Gabrielle Mazeltarum. She is from um, Gong. She's a mid-market account executive and a phenomenal demoer and account executive. So thank you so much for coming here. And let's get right into it. But before we do, if you're looking to level up in 2023, we are here to help you with our Sell Better Daily Sales Show, our membership with instant access to training and resources, and our corporate sales training for you and your team. So if you want to know what we're all all about, be sure to check us out by scanning this QR code or at sellbetter.xyz so you can know what all this information is and how it can help your team. Be sure to check that out, guys. Now, of course, we wouldn't be able to do this without our partners, Vidyard and Chili Piper. And of course, our drop of the day. Wouldn't have it. Would love to have it. Uh, The Vidyard Chrome extension. I'm going to go ahead and drop the link to that in the chat. If you guys want more effective outreach, be sure to download this Chrome extension because you can send videos so fast right on your browser. Now, one of the interesting things about demos is Gong mentioned, this research has shown that the winning reps have a ratio that's talking to listen, that's 48% talking and 54% listening. Joe, do you agree with this statistic? I do not agree with this statistic. Okay, hot take. Why is that? I've found that your absolute top performing salespeople maintain a talk to listen ratio of about 75% talk. 25% listen. And Mm. the challenge is when you hire new salespeople or less experienced salespeople and they mirror that behavior, they dump, they product dump, they feature dump, they just talk. And so the best advice I've seen is to have newer reps aim for a 50-50 talk to listen ratio. But in reality, your top performers will be talking 70% or more on each call. Okay. Great to hear. We'd love to hear all these tactics, actually, that will help people level up their game so they can be that person in that 70% speaking ratio. So (laughs) let's talk about what we're going to be overviewing today. We're going to show you all how to really set your call, your demo call for success. We're also going to make sure that the product ends up being more about the prospect and less about yourself. 
And lastly, those key steps you can take. So that way you can move the deal along very smoothly. So let's get right into it. But before we do, actually, I keep uh, keep pump faking you guys here, but I do want to know what who is in the room. This helps us guide the conversation. If you guys put that there's a lot of SDRs, I'm going to be asking SDR questions. There's a lot of AEs, AE questions. So be sure to fill this out and let us know who is in the room. Now, when it comes to demos, the biggest thing you can do is reiterate those pain points. Gabrielle, can you tell me why this is important? I think um, we spend a lot of time on discovery. And when you think about these discovery calls, it tends to be a pretty expensive conversation for these leaders to jump on a call. And as we're all seeing with the market, things are changing literally week by week. So something that they could have been a priority two weeks ago could have shifted. So I think just starting the conversation with one, is this what we still care about today? But two, it just kind of earning credibility that in the last conversation they spent with you, you truly heard them and you're coming in ready to talk about their pain points and how you're going to resolve them. I see. Now, you mentioned that you want to reiterate them, how you can solve them. How can you get them to even start speaking about them in the first place? I think I usually start with essentially an agenda and setting the the precedent that I'm going to ask them questions. But I think how do like, how do you get credibility? If I'm going to jump on a call with somebody like Joe, how do I earn the right to even ask him these questions and have him open up about his pain points? And I think it's coming in with a little bit of research, coming mm. in, educated about the market. What does the company do? Are they hiring? What's their market doing? Is there a competitive landscape coming in that you're speaking almost like you can level up somebody like Joe would be essential to be able to ask these questions and get this type of discovery out of them. Okay. So you're asking the right questions. You know who you're speaking to, but the language isn't always the same. Is a joke. Can you tell me more about it? No, I think that a lot of people that, that have been in sales for long enough or have had legitimate sales training, they've been taught the concept of mirroring. And whether you're using Myers-Briggs or DISC or whatever it might be, if you speak to a buttoned up accounting type, or if you speak to like a really like extroverted, you know, I hate to put people by department, but often cautious thinkers are in accounting and and like colorful, engaging people are in marketing or revenue roles. And so approaching both of those buyers the same way is kind of crazy. And so we know deep down that we should adjust the way we sell based on, on who we're selling to. But one of my, my favorite uh, marketing leaders that I ever worked with was Natalie Severino. And uh, she actually built like the killer, you know, pitch deck for us. And, and she built it out. So think of like a deck of cards. You can go by color or by suit or by number. And you can kind of like, you know, create these cohorts in a, in a deck of 52 cards. She created the 52 slide pitch deck and I could sort them so that before the call, I'd say either roll or, or you know, firmographic detail like industry or lead source. And I, I could then cohort like three or four user stories or testimonials that I might use to soften and, and win this prospect over. And so adjusting what you plan to say, what you plan to ask to, to your earlier point, Gabrielle, right? Adjusting that based on who you're selling to is critical. Um, and then you think about going a step further, like, like the, the product that we co-founded a couple of years ago called Reprise in the demo creation space, the first to market, leading this new category of software to where a salesperson could take their standard demo account and then immediately lay over vertical specific data. So when I'm pitching a finance customer, a customer in the finance industry, I'm showing them a workflow that resonates and looks like it's their own data. And then when I go pitch somebody that's in a not-for-profit or manufacturing or a SaaS company, 
I'm showing them data and stories that really resonate with that specific market. And so changing up your language based on who you're selling to, you know, when I first got in sales, I'm ancient. It was just about talking tough to tough talkers and being sweet to sweeties. And then it evolved to thinking about based on Gabrielle, what you said, the research going into an account, what stories, what, what am I going to share with this person to get them onto the right path? And then now with these advancements in software and go-to-market software like Reprise, we can actually go in there and demo to the persona, to the vertical, to the segment, and actually make them say like, wow, how did you know, right, based on what you're showing? And it's less about sales wizardry now. You know what I mean? We can have the demo set that actually resonates automatically. Mm. I would love to hear from our audience. Put a one in the chat. If you guys tailor your demos based on the title you're speaking to and put a two, if you guys have the same demo for, for everyone, we'll love to know. And we'll love to see what our audience has to say around this because it's uh, pretty crucial that you do actually tailor the demo to the person that you are speaking with. Now, Gabrielle, when it comes to your demo, I'm seeing that there's a lot of AEs in the room. About 51% of the people here are AEs. How should they tailor their demo so that it's not so jam-packed with information? I think depending on how you got your opportunity, if it's an inbound or an outbound lead, whatever the case may be, usually folks have some type of problem that entice them to jump on the call. And I think like I think about this in my own sales process. Like I love the product I sell, but generally people do not care about the company. They really don't. People care about themselves and they care about the problem they're trying to solve. So I think going back to how we started the conversation, reiterating the one, two, three mission critical priorities they have and focusing your demo solely on that. This Mm. is the problem and this is how we're going to resolve it. But more importantly, I try to live by rule of three. If you think about us and how long it takes us to ramp up and get acclimated with our own software, it takes two, three, four, five months. It depends on the company. But these folks have never seen your product, most likely. And you're trying to educate them to come away from the conversation excited and have a conversation with somebody else or have something land with them. So I think assessing this one, I try to max it at three of three things they can learn and take away from this and then go home and be excited about the product. But the one thing I'll I'll leave with is if you're showing anything in your demo that does not highlight a pain point they spoke about, don't show it. It's Mm. honestly fluff and it's not going to resonate unless it's speaking to the pain point. I know it's part of the process. Just eliminate it out of your conversation. I really love that point that you just got to eliminate the fluff. And Joe, how have you found that reps can actually overview their deck and eliminate the fluff? Like, How do they know what is fluff and what isn't? That's a really good question. So I, I love this question. We we hadn't planned to talk about this, but this is this is really interesting. Um, I I used to coach salespeople for a living. I was a VP of sales, and I launched three startups. And then after my last startup, I joined a venture a venture fund, and I, I'm an operating partner. I go coach CEOs now that are trying to go zero to a million. So first money in the door, like literally technical founders that have to go out and sell. And these are the people that I sell now, that, that I, I coach now. And what's really interesting is it's the same as when you used to coach salespeople. You record the call and then you watch the call together and then you talk about it. And I find myself asking people, why did you say that? Over and over and over again, I stop the video and I say, why did you say that? And they think I'm unhappy with what they said. They think that I, I they, sh- they think I, I mean, they should say it differently. The reality is I'm actually asking, did you say that for any reason whatsoever, or were you filling air? 
When I was a, a customer-facing salesperson, I would script the entire call, 30 minutes, 45, 60, whatever it is, break it out by section and be incredibly intentional with everything that I chose to spend a second on. I wouldn't introduce a topic unless I thought it could eventually funnel into my value prop. I wouldn't introduce a feature or, or, or a benefit unless I thought they actually needed it or their colleague needed it and it would trick them into multi-threading me into their colleague, right? So when you think about eliminating fluff, Go through your pitch collateral, go watch your last five calls, and just every time it's you on, on Gabrielle's barcode, right, and you're the speaker, hit pause after you speak and go, why the hell did I say that? Why am I using our time on the things that I'm using it on? And that'll eliminate fluff. And the flip side of this is when your marketing team enable you with a pitch deck or a co any collateral, a script, and you don't know why they want you to say we're headquartered in Boston, ask them. Right, because these are weapons that you're meant to fire, and so if you're just blindly using this stuff and just blindly following a script, and you don't understand why you're using each part of the call, then you're not using each part of the call, and you're wasting that part of the call, and you're hoping that the deal progresses. So, how do you eliminate fluff? Don't introduce fluff into the call. You're the one doing it. I see. That's a great point. Out that people can just review what they said in past calls. And just ask themselves, why am I doing this? You know, it just that's a real self-analysis that I think is so important to improving your demo game. Now, Gabrielle, when it comes to asking the right questions, should reps have questions prepared beforehand, or should it just feel whatever is right in that moment? I think it depends where you are in your tenure as a rep and where your confidence is. Like, I think if you're a little bit earlier, it's totally fair. Because you're thinking like, what do I ask? And like, they just said this thing. What do I say right after? An easy thing I did early on and when I'm working with some of my colleagues or SDRs are coming up to become an AE, I literally show them a pain funnel. Hmm. And it's simple. It's on Google. It's anywhere that you want to look at it. But I try to ask a question of starting the conversation like, hey, Joe or Adrian, like curious, what made you even want to jump on the call today? And I'm like, oh, just curious what your product does. I'll give them a really high level and I'll ask them like what resonates and try to assess, like think about folks, even all of us here, we all in our personal lives have so many different things, our priorities that we're trying to solve for. Mm -hmm. I try to assess like what is mission critical? What is the number one thing that you need to solve before anything else in the business? And I think asking that question allows us to understand if another rep from another company tries to sell this person, they're not going to win the deal for the simple reason I know what they care about and why they care about it and the impact on them and the business collectively. Mm. As soon as you realize that, an easy way is going through a pain funnel. Great. Why is that the number one priority? What have you done to solve it so far? You ask questions like that to assess. If your arm is broken and it's painful to the point where you can't get up, I imagine they called a doctor, they looked on Google, they reached out to their friends, they called insurance, they did a ton of different things. And that proof to you as a person, hey, they really care about this and this is really, really painful. But they say, I haven't done anything. I'm like, great, curious. It seems like it's number one. Why haven't we done anything yet? Is there something else that's more important that's taking up our time? And this just allows you to hone in on mission critical priorities. But going back to your original question, if you're wondering about questions, honestly, pain funnel, as soon as you get to mission critical, rewrite those questions in your natural language and go through it. You don't have to ask every one of them, but they'll give you a really great discovery code. Fantastic. I like that. The pain funnel. Everyone looked that up on Google. 
you're going to find something that you can actually base your questions off and dig deeper with your prospects. Now, when it comes to demoing, is it typical to demo on the first call? I actually want to know from our audience, do you guys demo on the first call? Is this something that's, you know, something you're used to or is it more of a drawn out process for yourselves? Let me know. Would love to see this. We're going to break this down momentarily. Now, Joe, when it comes to the demo, how do you know you're at the right time to introduce it in the first place in the conversation? Great question. How do you know when it's time to do the demo? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, got it. Um, okay. So for, for me, right, this comes up a lot. People always say that, like the term the demo, you know, and that's where, that's where things break for me. There's not one demo. You know, there, there's, there's like the, the Harbor Tour demo which can be used to educate somebody like over overview what we do, you know, or in that the poll question you're asking right now, should you demo on the first call or is it just for discovery? Well, what if you have somebody that you went outbound to and they're like, dude, you, you're the one that asked me for this time. What is it that you're going to tell me? You kind of have to pitch or overview. And that may be slides that may be verbal, or it may be like a quick run through of a couple of things in the product. And it's mm-hmm. like five minutes long just to get them saying, wait, I have a question. Hold on. I, I need, and you go, uh, you, you probably do need that deep dive next week. So some salespeople might leverage a Harbor tour demo just to elicit the ask for a deeper dive on the, on the following call. And then once you have that time booked, you could spend the next half of this first call doing real discovery without the awkwardness of them wanting you to go first. So hmm. maybe I'll show a demo on the first call, right? Maybe if somebody comes in first call inbound and they're like, Hey, thanks for, um, thanks for taking the time. Why'd you come inbound? And they're like, I have this problem. I'm not going to say shut up and let me show you something. I'm going to say, what problem? How bad is it? What up, right? So I, I just, I, I struggle giving advice to somebody on when they should do the demo. I think they should fill the dead air of somebody that wants to learn about their business with information about their business that leads to a deeper conversation. And if they can do that through the gift of conversation, do it. If they need slides, use them, right? And if they need to click a couple buttons in a product tour, then do that too, right? But it's about what's going to increase the likelihood that the right fit prospects align to you that they are a right fit prospect. And so give them a product demo when you need to, to get them to open up to you or when they've opened up to you and now you know what to hit on, you know, and then you get on a second call and now there are more stakeholders and you're demoing to them. And then you get on a third call and there's like a technical gatekeeper and you're demonstrating to them. And so there are a variety of reasons you'd share your screen and show anything from slides to a website, to a case study, to live product demonstrations, right? And so depending on the situation, the goal of the demo is to check some box that is a, a product that solves the project we've agreed to work on, right? That integration with our existing stack would work. The mm-hmm. workflows they expect our frontline users to commit to would be adopted. The, you know what I mean? Like there are reasons for the demo mm-hmm. and to think there's one demo where you do it all with one audience is nuts. You got to break up and, and like, you know, break apart your sales motion and go have 50 micro sales motion for people across the organization where some people want to see the product and some never want to see the product. Like I don't want to see your demo when I'm your buyer. Okay. So I think I like how you said that you can segment it into smaller bits. It doesn't all need to just be one tell all demo for everything, which brings us into our next point perfectly. And it's how to make the demo more about the prospect and less about yourselves, really. You know, how do you make your prospect a priority? Gabrielle, I'm seeing here that Todd mentioned in the chat. He said, I actually do 
do a demo on the first call, if it makes sense, I'll do a mini demo to sell it. Now, this kind of brings up what Joe kind of said, which there are many micro demos. Have you found as an AE that you have to prepare various types before you hop on the call? Or do you already know what you're going to present as soon as you get on there? I feel like I'm, I'm fairly familiar with different pain points and where I would use case map that would land in the product essentially. Mm-hmm. But similar to Todd, I've done conversations where I haven't done the demo and there's conversations I've done the demo in one conversation. It just kind of depends on where we are. But I think to the question that you mentioned here, there are many types of demos and essentially how do you make it more about the prospect? I know there's talk tracks that we're all taught at work of, hey, this is how you pitch it, which is great. But I think how do you adjust it to talk about their story? Hey, Mm. when we spoke, like you just mentioned, we spent 10 minutes talking about your mission critical, which is you're looking to hire, hypothetically speaking. And the biggest problem for you is we can't figure out how to ramp people because everybody's behind a computer at home. Let me show you exactly how we're going to do that. And like making sure that their language is implemented in your language and in your demo. And the reason being is like in that simple motion, they truly hear that you heard them. And that's the objective is that when somebody's talking with you, you want to earn their attention because half the time we all see it. Somebody's you're doing a demo and you can see their eye drifting. They're on another screen. And and that's the worst feeling in the world. And sometimes I call it out, to be honest with you, of like, hey, I feel like I'm completely missing the mark here. I want to make sure this is the best use of your time. Please let me know. I'm showing this. It doesn't feel like it's landing. Where do we need to focus our energy here? And that it's kind of, there's a way to do it that it's not very controversial, not controversial, like um, aggressive in a sense, mm-hmm. where you're just like, I generally want you to take something out of this conversation. How do I make this about you, essentially? I like that. You're really just switching it up. I mean, like, look, I'm really here for you. That's why we're on this call and you're calling it out off the get-go, which I think removes a lot of that ambiguity. I was like, what is this person going to present? It's, it's really... It's about you, my prospect. You know, <laughs> I really like that. Now, Joe, do you normally go into demos with an agenda or is it kind of just like, a, uh, I got a rough idea of what I'm going to do? For 100% have an agenda for sure. Even if it's like a first call arbiter, like I was talking about, I still have an agenda, which is to test this person if like their most common one or two use cases is the project I can get attached to. And then if not, show them one or two things that a peer or a colleague or an adjacent you know, department might benefit from me. So that's the goal of a Harbor Tour demo. So yeah, I have an agenda. I'm either going to sell to you, Adrian, or I'm going to pull information out of you and sell over your head or, or beside you. And that's the goal of a Harbor Tour demo. But the, the whole idea of how do you make it about the customer, make it about their pain points and not about your product, it, it just goes back to what are you doing on this call? I don't, I don't understand this, how a salesperson could have an interaction with a customer and then get off the call And then the customer goes, what the heck was that? You know, like that was not what we were hoping for. That was not what we were expecting to spend our time on. We didn't get our questions answered. Like, are we professionals or not? And so it goes back to leveraging the tools that you have as a salesperson. You're given an agenda, right, to to give on these calls. Every one of us was trained, whether it was Sandler, ANOT, or or whatever the acronym is. I appreciate your time. Naturally, you want to see what we do. Obviously, I have some questions for you. Typically, the way this works best is if you go first and then I can speak to what you asked me for, right? So you're saying the agenda is you will get time to see our product. I need time to understand your needs. At the end of that call, we will agree to move forward. Is that what we're doing here? And so if the customer hears that, 
and says no, then you have a conversation. Well, what is it that we're here to do? Right. If the customer says yes, then you've created an upfront contract to where if you deliver your end, you're expected to get their end from it. Mm. How is demoing any different? How are we not getting on the call and recapping how we got to this point? Who's been in the meeting so far? What we've uncovered as the goal of the overall project? And then the specific reason we're having this call is to show technical integration or workflow, like the things we were talking about earlier. There's a reason for this demo. Say that's the reason for this demo. And if the prospect agrees, you're in a good place. And if they don't, stop and correct it. But I don't get it how we get to minute 27 and then both parties are looking at each other like, what did we spend our time on? This wasn't a useful call. I'll never understand how we get there. And if you don't know, reach out to your champion and say, can we spend five minutes on the phone before the call so I don't waste your team's time? Because their biggest fear when they bring more people into a, into a conversation, their biggest fear is that they're wasting their team's time and it's going to look bad on them. So the number of active opportunities that we're chasing where we don't have regular sync with the champion, that's crazy. Mm-hmm. And the number of demos we get on and just show and tell and don't confirm ahead of time, that's the goal of the call. And what happens if we complete the goal of the call? That's crazy to me. We're wasting our time. We're wasting our time. Can't be out here wasting time. So we're going to make sure that we get right to the point of it all and can provide value immediately. Now, Gabrielle, when it comes to training your teams, because I saw that we have about 15% senior leadership in the room, how can we train AEs to be better demoers? We talked about really getting to understand the prospect's pain points. Discovery plays a big role in this, but how do you train this to your teams? Hmm. I would say there's not like a one-size-fits-all. I think doing honestly discovery with your rep, like the best leaders I've had have literally asked me, how do you learn? And I'm a person that likes to discuss things and I want to hear it and understand the why so things resonate. And it's not just like me parroting what they've said to me. I truly understand the why behind what I'm saying. Some other folks really work well off of just you telling them what to do and they'll figure it out along the way. So I think assessing that first step is really, really essential, but also give them an example of what looks good. Mm. So they know and they can start to analyze from an outside perspective because every one of us has had a cold call from Spectrum or AT&T or some fun person. I literally had a loan officer call me recently and I stayed on the phone. I was so impressed with the way she ran a cold call. And I wanted to, and I even told my partner, I was like, wow, that was an amazing cold call. And we all know what that sounds like, right? Mm-hmm. And I think when you have a good conversation with a salesperson, if you're buying a car, If you're even going to like get makeup or clothes or whatever the case may be, think of the folks that resonate with you and you want to continue speaking with them. And what did they do different? And most often the conversation is not about what they're selling. It's about you and what you want and why you want it and what you care for and your budget and so on and so forth. So I think, think of that and give them examples like that. What I think would be a good idea is having your sales leader have a call, a sales call. And having them analyze from an outside perspective why it's such a great sales call and why it's not a great sales call. Mm. And that might be a really good way to do it as well. That's a great way. That way we could break it down as a team. You can show it's all together. Like, guys, this is the way we want to follow this, this system and make an effective demo. I really like that call out. Just listen to what actually has worked in the past is so powerful. 
Now, what if you're not ready to demo? I, I want to know from our audience. It happens. You get caught on the spot. Your prospect is like, okay, show me. And you don't know what to do. You freeze up. I want to hear from our audience. We have a question here for you. What do you do then? Do you guys hand it off to someone else who might know what they're doing? Do you just run the demo? Say, screw it. I'm going to go with it. Or do you convince them that it's better that you demo another day so that way you can prepare yourself more readily? Now, Joe, what would you do in this situation? If someone asked you to demo and you're kind of not ready, what would you do? I'll tell you what I wouldn't do. I wouldn't tell the prospect that they can't have a demo because it's against my company's rules. Mm. And I wouldn't tell the prospect that they can't have a demo because my product is too complicated for them to understand without giving me proper discovery. So if I got caught flat-footed where I wasn't expecting to do a demo, but they asked for a demo, I wouldn't insult them and I wouldn't say no because of rules. That's for sure. Mm -hmm. So I would probably use a slide deck or I would use a Harbor Tour demo to check the box of going first, but leave more questions unanswered versus trying to go 60-minute full detailed demo. As a profession, right? You've got lawyers, politicians, and salespeople in this society. That's the group that we're in. It is okay to lie to a salesperson. It is okay to lie to a salesperson. That means there's inherent mistrust. They assume anything you ask them, you're asking so you can use it against them. So a lot of people, they just want to see you pitch before they admit to what's going wrong for them because they're afraid if they tell you their problems first, then you'll use it and say, oh, that's what we do, even if that's not really what you do, right? So mm -hmm. sometimes when they're asking you for a demo, they just don't know how to say, can you at least tell me the high notes here of what you do before I start telling you what my problems are? And so there's a world where even if you're not ready to demo, there's some information that you should give them and then they'll volunteer. They're just asking you to go first. And in their experience, it's a demo is how they get educated they're asking for an education and we get so offended by this because we know you lose power and it's give to get and you can't demo before this. Like, yeah, fine. But you're insulting people and you're, you're making enemies and you're making it awkward because you hear demo break the rules. Mm. All they're asking you for is an education. Why wouldn't you want to educate them about your company? Like they're just asking you what you do and then they'll give you discovery. That's how I. Okay. I love that. And you just make a very good point there. They're just really asking for education. And I'm seeing that our audience here would under the don't agree with me. Half don't agree with me. <laughs> our audience okay. would convince them to demo another day. They'd be like, no, you know what? We're going to do this another day when I'm ready, uh, which, hey, it happens. You want to be very prepared so you have the largest chance to close. But sometimes just educating them right away could be the right answer. Go for what feels best for you. And I'm seeing here that's 35% would just run the demo on the spot and 2% would say, I'll hand it off. I'm not going to be doing that. Now, we know that all these things will prepare you for success. But what about once the demo's done? It, it's, it's concluded. You did a great job. What do you do next? Gabrielle, I know you like to do something when it comes to communication with your with your prospect. Could you tell me more about that? So I, I usually start it in the agenda of how I'm going to wrap up my call. And I say, I'm Sandler trained, so I tend to like Sandler and I follow it pretty thoroughly. But I tend to say, hey, wherever we are in the conversation, at the last five minutes, I'm going to stop us. And I'm going to ask for your honest, transparent feedback of how today went. Is that a fair ask? 
And as soon as my last five minutes, I literally check it and I'm like, hey guys, I'm so sorry to interrupt. We're at the last five minute mark. We can definitely like work through these questions on a different call if that's okay. I'd love to hear your feedback. How did today go? And usually at this point, if we reiterated their pain points, we talked about their pain points, we demoed it in their own words and so on and so forth, we're in a good spot. So then I'm like, great, I'd love to hear from you. Like, what are next steps on your end? And I try to let them, if they're really excited, oftentimes they will guide the process for you. Unless you're extremely low level, that's something you should be aware of coming in. Meaning you're at a manager level, you're about four to five steps away from somebody that can actually make a decision at the company to move things along for you. And from there, I'm like, hey, usually when we're in conversations like this, we tend to meet with Tom, your VP. How does next Tuesday work? Great. Mm. That works great. Whatever the case may be. And I asked the question, hey, are you the person that I need to call the day before to confirm that you're going to show up? Or if it's on your calendar, are you good to go? And I'll say, I'm like, hey, and I've even, I was in negotiation recently. It was a pretty competitive deal. And I said, I'm going to put time on our calendar. Can we make a commitment that you're going to show up? Because I imagine you don't like to see three emails from me and I don't want to send you three emails. And I kind of make it like a, because I personally sell to salespeople. So I think I have it much easier than other folks be completely transparent because they teach their reps to do the things I'm doing on my end during that conversation. And that Mm. tends to help as well. But I think, yeah, that tends to be part of the process that really helps for me. That's fantastic. I like how you recap there. And then set the expectation with your rep, with your prospects saying, hey, uh, what kind of communication are you going for here? What kind of person are you? You can just get it across. There's no ambiguity. Again, eliminating that ambiguity, everyone, is so crucial. And I want to know from our audience, put a one in the chat. If you all like to recap at the end of your demos, do you recap and say, how is this going? Like, How do you think it all went? That's so important, getting a feeler for how your prospect feels about the process. And then a two... If that's not what you do, you just kind of end it and be like, that went great. And just depend on the follow-up, which, hey, it could work too. So (laughs) we'll love to hear from you all. I'm already seeing some ones in the chat and some twos. So it's great to see. Now, Joe, how about a process that you like to follow after the demo? I know you like to do three specific things. Can you tell me more about them? Absolutely. Absolutely. So to Gabrielle's point about multi-threading, One of the things that I've started to do on my demos is consider all of the personas that are going to be involved in this deal. And contrary to Gabrielle's advice about only demoing features the person you're talking to cares about, I actually take a quick detour sometimes. And I say, I just want you to see this is the workflow your VP is going to care about, or this is the workflow the, the other department head would be interested in. You know, And then at the end of the call, I'll say, hey, I'm going to send this follow-up email to you and I'll put in a summary. You know, I recorded it. I'll even clip out and put the demo in there for you. Actually, why don't you forward that over to so-and-so and that way they can see it too. Mm. And I find about a 75% success rate if I intentionally put little breadcrumbs in there, little Easter eggs for other people in the organization. And I say that I'm doing it on the live demo. And then at the end of that call, I say, I'm going to send it to you in an email. Maybe you should send it to Adrian. Okay. Mm-hmm. 75% of the time they will, and they'll send it to Adrian. And then you can email Adrian and you can have a conversation with them too. So that's one thing that I would do on every call is I'd consider how can I, how can I entice, you know, how can I get invited versus proactively multi-threading? So that's one thing I do live on calls. At the end of every demo, I send a follow-up email and it's, it's standard, it's templated. Like, here's what we covered. Here's what's next. Here's what we talked about. And I send it to everyone on the call. And then I reply to each person from the call one-off. And I, re- I remember something they said on the call, a question they asked I didn't spend enough time on, 
you know, a thing they brought up that I really think we need to dive in deeper. And I make each one of them realize that I'm paying attention to them. I know their role in it and I want one-to-one time with them and I get deep in an organization. So I email everyone and then I reply to my email one person at a time. So they realize I'm talking to the group and then I'm talking to them. And that prevents the thing when you send a group email and they all step backwards, right? This way, they're all replying to me one-off versus looking at each other like, who's going to take the lead with Joe? They're all having conversations with me. And then the next thing I do is I write down the next month of my plan because salesforce.com and other CRM have started to shape our behavior. You do data hygiene in your CRM twice a week, right? Once in the middle of the week and then once right before the one-to-one of the forecast call. And as you're doing your data hygiene, say, I got to push that close date out and I better throw another email at the prospect. And your CRM hygiene It's what's driving your follow-up and your multi-threading. And by the time you get three weeks out, you've just given up on active deals and you're lobbing lazy emails at lukewarm deals that weren't even real. So as soon as a call's over, what I do is I lay out the next three months of follow or the next next three weeks of follow-up. And I say, I'm giving my champion this email today and I'm going to hit that champion again this many days later. And if they don't respond, right, either the deal isn't worth it, you know, or I get the sense from the first couple of calls, the deal's real. And if that's the case, I'm saying after my champion doesn't become a real champion, I'm going over their head with what I've learned. And a week after that, I'm going broad to every every frontline employee in the department, and I'm kicking up as much dirt as I can if the deal is real. But I'm not waiting three weeks after the call to make that decision. I'm laying out my follow up. I'm laying out my follow up cadence right after the call. So engage them all, engage them one at a time, and then lay out what you're going to do if that doesn't work, and then do that. That is so powerful because it really brings everyone in the organization in as if it's like a team effort to bring your deal to life. And that is a fantastic move. Make sure to incorporate that everyone into your own style because that is a, it's almost, you can't really lose, right? If you do reach out to those decision makers, worst they can do is just not reply. So (laughs) now we are going to the Q&A. We have time for a question here. So if anyone has a question, go ahead and throw it in the Q&A. Gabrielle, I do have a question and it comes to building confidence. If people feel like they're not as confident in these demos or running them, what do you think they can do to just increase their confidence just a bit? Hmm. How to build your confidence. I think... I think about myself when I was in college, I remember I had a speech class Mm -hmm. and I was so terrified of going up there and doing a speech. I literally, I think I had a panic attack. It was like in college and it was terrible. And then I had like my professor come up to me. They were like, the reason you were so scared is because you were underprepared. And that was it. And honest, like now I'm fine. I'm in meetings. I run SKO meetings with customers. Like I'm in a really good spot and I have no problem speaking and like, being that person. And I think it comes all with preparedness. It's okay if you're new. It's okay if you're struggling, if you've been at the company, but you haven't figured out your flow yet, but try to get all of the resources necessary. Find a mentor on the team, work with your manager. You at least have one or two one-on-ones, hopefully in the month and guide the conversation. I really feel like I'm struggling with my confidence on discovery. Can we do a role play if that's how you learn? Can we listen to my call and get feedback? Whatever way you learned when you were in school, think about that as a way to learn now. I'm a person that also learns by listening to somebody, but I have to write it down and then re-say it in my own words. And that tends to really resonate. So I think, think about those. And I honestly, truly think that will gain your confidence over time. The fact that you feel like you know what you're speaking about. 
Fantastic. Yeah, that's beautiful. That's spot on. I had a sales rep that was the one struggling with their talk track. Uh, and I, I felt struggling with preparedness was the reason. And so I asked that salesperson to record themselves role-playing a demo and then use the transcript from that and then, and then print it out and hand it to me as if they were writing a play and tell me, tell me, you know, like they were actually writing out, this is how it will work and then bring it to me. And when they brought it to me, they were like, you know, this is twice as long as it needs to be. And it's all ums and ahs. And I'm really embarrassed. There's no way I would go in there and intentionally do this. And so I, he's like, I'm going to re-record it. I said, don't re-record it, rewrite it. Mm. And then he wrote himself a script that was super tight. And he focused to your point about like speech writing. He focused on the transitions, which are where a lot of people struggle. And if you think about your demo as a series of points you're going to make and then transition to the next point, you could list out those four or five key points of your demo. And then just think, what is the point? What is the transition? What's the next point? What's the transition? And then to Gabrielle's point, just do that a few times, record it, watch yourself. And you're going to feel 10 feet tall, like you're made out of gold, but just go in there and know what you're going to say and have done it a few times. Start doing your demos in the shower. <laughs> Love that. Now, I want to know from everyone here, if you have any questions, just throw it in the Q&A. And lastly, Gabrielle, when it comes to you know, follow-up, you can ask them at the end of a demo if the whole thing went well. They'll tell you yes. Everything seems like next steps are prepared. But life happens and a prospect will ghost you sometimes. What do you like to do to bring them back into the fold? I luckily use Gong. So some okay. I've done really interesting things of literally taking a little snippet of the thing that really landed during our demo and including it in a follow-up. Mm. I'll try to include what Joe had mentioned earlier is like, we've probably spoken about other people in the organization, other use cases, their boss, and I'll try to multi-thread other people. And like bring them into the conversation. I'll go on LinkedIn and see who follows Gong. I'll go to people that post on Gong. They're more of like the LinkedIn post folks. I'll look at who likes their comments to connect with them. Like, hey, it looks like you like you've used Gong before at your previous company, or hey, I see you follow us on LinkedIn. I'm working with Joe. He seemed really, really interested. I'd love to send you like a ten dollar Starbucks card. Is there any world you can give me some insight of how I can get his attention back again? There's a ton of folks that want to guide you in the right direction. You just got to ask the right people. I really like that. So when it comes to finding you, where can the people find you? Joe, what is the best way to get in touch with you? I don't know. Get in touch with me. I don't like salespeople. Um, just submit it to info ad and we'll screen it and get back to you. No, I'm, I'm super heavy on LinkedIn. It's, my, it's actually my um, communication of choice. So you can connect with me and you can DM me. I'm pretty active, but uh, there's a delay a lot. But um, yeah, I'd love to make some new friends from this. Fantastic. We went ahead and dropped your LinkedIn here in the chat if everyone wants to give Joe a follow. And Gabrielle, what is the best way for people to get in touch with you? I'd say LinkedIn is probably the best way. I tend, I'm not as active as Joe. I'm working on it, but it's a priority in the new year. So we'll work on it better. Fantastic. Now we have time here for one last question. Joe here asks, what are your thoughts on the best way to use PPT to intro or outro without your prospect rolling their eyes at yet another PowerPoint? Uh, Joe, do you mind answering this in one minute? We're running low on time. 
I, I have a feeling I know who asked this question. It, PPO is, is an acronym that Doug Landis from Emergence Capital teaches the companies that Emergence Capital invest in. He's an amazing sales coach, an amazing sales philosopher. PPO, the, the, the um, purpose, the plan, and, and, and the agenda of a call, or mm. purpose, plan, and outcome of a call. Okay. So oh, you Joe White's in the that. chat saying that it's PowerPoint. <laughs> <laughs> we're out here talking talking shop about sales i just assume it's another sales acronym but you actually mean powerpoint what was the question again so what are your thoughts on the best way to use powerpoint to intro outro without your prospect rolling their eyes at yet another sales powerpoint oh yeah yeah so this goes back to leveraging your tools and actually using your tools versus just displaying them so if you're not using the intro slide to confirm the goal of the call, then you're just reading the intro slide. If you're not using the about us slide to see if they're more focused on value prop A or B, then you're not leveraging the about us slide. If you're not using the customer testimonial slides to get them to relate and share if their business has the same challenges, then you're not leveraging the customer testimonial slides. So don't do it if you don't know why you're doing it. Don't do it. Go in there and every single thing you should do, everything, every single thing you do should be intentional leading to an outcome, including the use of PowerPoint. Love it. It's just going back to cut out the fluff and go straight to the point. Well, this brings us to the end of our time here. Thank you so much for joining us, Joe. Gabrielle, this has been a fantastic conversation. And thank you so much to our audience for joining us. And be sure to follow us on LinkedIn at Sell Better by JB Sales. And of course, we will catch you on the next one. Peace out.